260 of the Sleeper in the Bust. It is the Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spore. Joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Eno Saris. Eno, how you doing? Good, good. Good to hear. I know today is park day, so we got to get right into it. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of rookie pitchers that both pitched yesterday. And if I had told you the two names that pitched and probably maybe even given you their opponents, maybe not just told you these two guys are going and, and here's the two results and you match them with who who had them. One guy went a third of an inning and got his face caved in uh, for like <laughs> six or seven runs. The other guy went six scoreless and looked great. I'm not even sure if he gave up a runner through three innings. And if I said those two guys were Lance McCullers Jr. and Zach Godley, you place them with the uh, with the line score. Obviously, you, you would have probably defaulted if you didn't know anything about the the games last night to putting Godley with the uh, with the awful start and McCullers with the good one. And uh, it did not work that way. Maybe you would have realized it was a Trivial Pursuit esque question, and so that the obvious answer wasn't going to be uh, the, the correct one. So you know, we see McCullers get absolutely drilled. These third of an inning, two third of an inning starts. I feel like they're an epidemic this year. Maybe I'm just remembering them more because they always seem to be in my DFS lineup, just as Wheeler was yesterday. Oddly enough, with with Godley, but um, he gets that he gets drilled there. The the Rangers end up winning 12 to nine there. It ended up being a slug fest. Colby Lewis gives up seven runs himself. Uh, McCullers got sent out now uh, down to the minors though. It, it, it looks like more of a rest situation, kind of an easy thing. You know, you don't want to have him resting on the major league roster. You're wasting a, a roster spot at that point. So send him down. We'll, we'll see if he's even going to get in the rotation or just kind of wait the 10 days down there and come back up. Dan Straley's up. Um, let's talk about these two first McCullers. Are you worried when you see these kinds of things? Eduardo Rodriguez had one after that rain delay game, and he's bounced back and been pretty fine. Are you, are you worried about McCullers after getting drilled? Well, you know, he just right now is passing a career high in innings. Mm-hmm. I mean, like basically that's st- that like that little start. start. Yeah, because, I, I, I hesitate to call it a start because it was a third. Right. Inning. <laughs> but 100, he was at 104.2 in 2013. Uh, took a step back last year, and then this year uh, he's now at 105.2. So, like, it really just happened. And, um, you know, I, you never know. You th- you think he'd be able to, you know, pitch beyond, you know, the exact number that he was that he was at and before. So it's not like, you know, something just happened where the lights went out. Um, and uh, in terms of velocity, he was there. Uh, you know, 95 um, in that last start, I think. Um, sometimes our velocity cards aren't as fast as others. Um, let me make sure about that. But uh, in any case, uh, you know, I don't think that, you know, there was something that just really stood out that, like, you know, he really messed up. I mean, his, um, his yeah, his velocity was right there. It was a, and, it was a high uh, even. Uh, yeah, uh, a high for his most recent uh, eight starts, if I'm eyeballing it. So. Yeah, and in terms of like what he, in terms of what you know, what happened in the game, um, I don't think also that um, you know anything crazy happened. I mean, it was just uh, just one of those games. That's um, the thing. I mean, seven hits. Um, one was the the, the triple to Beltray. 
uh, a homer to McCullers, or excuse me, to Chu, but then the rest were singles, and 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 that'll do you right in. Uh, add in a walk, and and it, it snowballs pretty quickly, and it snowballed really quickly on him. The impressive part is that a a third of an inning six run shellacking only sent sent his ERA up to three seventeen. So uh, that kind of gives well, you a clue as to how well he's been pitching before that. Another thing also that's kind of interesting is that they were swinging a ton at his curveball. Uh, which may have been surprising to him, um, and maybe that it says something about uh, what teams may want to do in the future. Because um, you know the, the 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 high for him in terms of swinging at his curveball is uh, 50, 58. Uh, those are the two highest before he, before his last game, and that one they swung at 78 percent of his curveball. So um, you know whatever they probably saw uh, ten of them and swung at eight of them, or uh, something like that. Um, you know, it's obviously not that, but, uh, something close to that because it's 77.8. So it's not something nice and round, but they, yeah, they definitely swung at his curveball. And, um, what's weirder even than that is that they did their damage against the fastball. So I don't know what it was about swinging at the curveball that made them more dangerous on the fastball. Um, I think we... If we get too far into one start, we'll we'll, we'll get too into deep, and uh, it, it's not necessarily anything that's off. That, uh, that's the thing with these, and I think yeah. we've seen it with just about every guy that that suffered them. Even 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 lower rung guys like a Charlie Morton, he bounced back, and he's been kind of his Charlie Morton self. Uh, you know, a capable backhand guy, nothing special at all. That's for sure. Um, I mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez bounced back that Felix Hernandez guy, that new guy who just came out of the scene, Felix Hernandez, he bounced back from his Garrett Richards bounced back. I mean, it, it seems just more like an anomaly, but it's so jarring. I think that, uh, that we as a fantasy community maybe want to make more of it than necessary. Let's shift over to Godley because he has been good. And the reason I took a chance on him yesterday in DFS was because it was only two starts, but there were some skills there for the for the high quality numbers that he had. It wasn't a situation like we see, you know, regularly where a guy comes up for a couple good starts and uh, you know has this low number, low ERA and low WHIP, and yet it's because he has a 150 BABIP and a you know 92% left on base rate. It just wasn't that wasn't the case with Godley. Uh, he had he had decent strikeout rate. Solid walk rate, really good swinging strike rate. He does have a crazy left on base rate, but also a high ground ball rate. So there's there's some real skills there. I'm not saying he's a 150 ERA and a 106 WHIP. There, there's there's no chance of that. But with a 24% strikeout rate, 12 uh, 12% swinging strikes, 7% walk rate, 55% ground ball rate, that's some pretty good stuff. Now this guy is not was not acclaimed at all as a, uh, a prospect. There was no prospect status for him. And he's coming up and, and doing some real damage here. Is this like a they're the next Mike Bullsinger, or is this something real? You know, Godley reminds me a little bit of Chichi Rodriguez. If you just look at the numbers, you'll see that there isn't a lot of horizontal movement. And you'll be tempted to call his stuff straight, especially his, his forcing. But he doesn't throw the forcing a lot. And he throws, he's kind of over the top like Chi-Chi. So he, I think that over the top release um, does make it harder to, if you think about Josh Colmenter, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, you know, Mike Fires, you, it's a little bit harder to get horizontal movement. And horizontal movement is good for ground balls. So that's why, for me, Chi-Chi is a very strange pitcher because he's a sinker who's trying to get a lot of ground balls and, you know, 
when we think of the, what what separates the sinker from the four seam, yes, there is a little bit of sink, but it's also the arm side run, and a lot of that um, turns into ground balls, and and indeed horizontal movement is strongly correlated with with ground balls. So, um, you know, it moves you off the barrel. It's easier to hit, um, but it moves you off the barrel. So that's that's why horizontal movement is good for for um, for ground balls. And then vertical movement, it moves you off the barrel. It moves you off the bat completely. I mean, it, it, you know, if you imagine hitting, trying to hit something, and then it drops two inches below that, it's it's off the it's off the bat. So I think uh, vertical drop is good for whiffs. That's something I found in um, the curveball piece that I did, and that Harry Pavlidis found in his changeup research. So in Godley's case, I think I like him better than Chichi Rodriguez, even though they both have this weird lack of horizontal movement. It's obvious that Godley is going for strikeouts uh, more than ground balls. Definitely. And and, um, and if you look at his history, he got them at every stop except for double-A, but he was at double-A for 14 starts. So, you know, I don't think that we can really, you know, and the projection systems are going to discount his low minor stuff, and they're going to look at that, you know, double-A, uh, those double-A whiffs and say, where are those? Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that's a little unfair because that's two starts in double-A and Every other stop, he got tons of whiffs. Plus, his stuff looks really interesting. Um, you know, in terms of movement, he's funky. I think for the very, at the very least, he's going to be interesting while uh, he's fresh. Yeah. So for the next handful of starts, I, I agree. I, I, I've really, uh, you know, taken a little bit of a shine to this guy as somebody that you can, you can maybe pick up for some, for some pitching help here because there are some skills. And again, it's a small sample. Uh, a 98.9% left on base rate has Houston Street jealous of all people because that guy's the master at stranding runners. So that's obviously going to go up, as is the ERA. But if you can get a 3.50 ERA with a 22, 23% strikeout rate. I'll take that all day from him, and and it's looking like maybe Godley can do that. I want to use this as a uh, jump-off point to talk a little bit about your rookie piece today that that you wrote on a lot of pitchers because in addition to these two, we got got another throng of guys coming up. Uh, In fact, today and tomorrow, I believe, are going to have the three debuts of the first three names in your piece, Luis Severino, John Gray, Henry Owens. You also uh, mentioned Daniel Norris by name, who is a rookie. Uh, traded over the Tigers in the David Price deal, had a great d- debut with the Tigers in Baltimore over the weekend. So what did you find? What were you looking for in your piece and what did you find? Well, you know, everyone's been making a big deal about this year's rookie hitters and for good measure, they, they're the best rookie class of hitters of all time. Nice. And that's whether or not you measure them by weighted runs created plus, you know, sort of an overall weighting of, of their, their offensive, just their offensive performance or if you do it by war, which, you know, wins a rubber placement, which has defense in it, either way, they're the best rookies of all time. And, you know, it's probably going to end the season like that. Um, now, y- y- this could be, uh, it could be a, a trend. It could be a bellwether thing. It could be that the, we're getting better at discerning good hitting prospects, that these are great hitters and there are going to be more great hitters coming. And that we're rushing uh, more of our youngsters to the big leagues because of salary structures and and so on and so forth, arbitration. Those things could be true, but there's a long, long list, even within arbitration, the arbitration period of of times when rookies came up and basically had an 87 weighted runs created plus. So basically, they're 13 percent worse than league average as a rookie class. And even if you look at this year, 
you know, I don't think it actually helps to pull out the top prospects from the non-top prospects. Because if you look at this year, the best hitters, you know, yes, there's Chris Bryan at the top um, and Jock Peterson. But there's also Randall Grichuk and, um, you know, just other guys who've come out of, out of nowhere. So um, I think as a class, you can say hitters are generally 10% worse than league average, 10 to 12% worse than league average. Pitchers, on the other hand, are 7 to 8% worse than league average, rookie pitchers. So I think that has to do with that freshness thing that we're talking about. The uh, There's two things that happen. I think when you get to the big leagues, a lot of guys throw harder um, because they want to you know, stay in the big leagues. So certainly, they'll, they'll, certainly. they'll find that extra, the, the extra mile per hour. So I think that happened a little bit with Chris Bassett. Um, you, you, you look at him, he got a mile and a half and, and all of a sudden he, he looks like a viable pitcher. So, uh, there's some of that. And then I think the other thing is just, uh, if you have, you know, a hitter and a pitcher and you're unfamiliar with the hitter and you're unfamiliar and the pitcher is unfamiliar with the pitcher, I think that that matchup, uh, favors the pitcher. I agree. The hitter is trying to be reactive. The pitcher is proactive. The pitcher is choosing what pitches are being thrown. And the hitter has never seen those pitches before. And plenty of hitters tell me that they can do video, but it's nothing like standing in the box and seeing it. Um, so, so wait, so, you're telling me that all this MLB, the show that I've been playing, does not set me up to go. <laughs> is that, if that's what you're telling me, then I've wasted a lot of time because I've been prepping to go be and play for Round Rock later this year. And so if you're telling me now that I'm going to struggle when I get in the box, that's alarming. Anyway, continue. Yeah, so I mean that's that's really the long and short of it. I think it I think it makes sense to um, you know get young major league hitters if you want to because they're pre-peak and that's good. Uh, they're more likely to beat their projections and lose um, to their projections. But uh, to get major leaguers when you're talking about hitters, and then I think I think one of the big variables that mucks up all of our pitching uh, projections makes pitching projections worse than hitting projections makes it harder to spend a lot of money on pitching is that there are always the Zachary Godleys coming through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know what I think a, a viable, healthy, viable strategy is, you know, major league veterans with opportunity. And especially I, I often speak to only leagues where you have to give something somewhere. And uh, I, think, I think the easiest place to give something is probably even more so than relieving. Because, yes, reliever jobs change hands, but... It, it's very unpredictable as to who's going to get the job. Um, and you're fighting with you everybody know. else t- to still get those, too. That's one thing, I, you know, it gets talked about a lot in the preseason about punting saves or, or, or not paying for closers because you can pick them up off the wire. If you're lucky, one, and if you've got enough fab and you, and you can outbid your guys, and then, and then what if you spend all the April and May buying all these closers and none of them stick, and then a big rash of players comes over for the AL the way this, that happened in this trade deadline. I know that's an anomaly that that many stars would come over, but then you just pissed away all your money on, on closer fab that didn't even work and you can't even get in on the big ticket items. So that's why I don't always advise, like, don't pay for saves and just pick up the guys because it's not as easy as it's made out to be. So I agree with you. That's not always the best place to give back either. And what you're talking about is you can't make a superstar team top to bottom in the in an AL or NL only. You have to have some some weak spots. Yeah, and I think that the best weak spot is probably back-end uh, starting pitching. The, the $1 major league pitcher, I think, is probably a bad deal. I mean, they'll either end up in the bullpen or be a bad pitcher or just not be that useful. And I found that, you know, 
in AL labor, the only thing that I can hold on to this year as being uh, being a good strategy is that the the best values are the sort of four to seven dollar starting pitchers. So, you know, maybe get an ace, uh, then get a couple four to seven to eight dollar uh, you know pitchers in between, and then uh, maybe just don't even have um, uh, the dollar starters. You know, maybe have a couple dollar relievers that might luck their way into to closing, and then basically five six of your bench should be. Uh, especially in a, a format like AL Labor, where um, it's important whether or not they're in the big leagues or in the minor leagues. Uh, but um, e- even another kind of league, I think the major part of your bench should be prospect pitchers that are near the big leagues. And um, those are just a bunch of lottery tickets. You put five of those together, you're going to get one or two guys that, that can light the world on fire. And they might be your best deadline uh your trade deadline acquisition because they'll be free. And if somebody gets traded away in front of them, all of a sudden they have opportunity or somebody gets hurt. Look at Luis Severino. He would have been a great uh, bench pick for me. So, you know, I, I, I think that'll be something I do. Sometimes leagues make you pay for those guys, but there's always the second tier. I mean, Zachary Godley is, a, is, is reaching a bit deep, but there are other prospect type pitchers that come up. I don't think Daniel Norris uh, went for money. You know, nobody's going to pay five dollars for Daniel Norris. So, uh, or maybe they did. But well, um, it, it was looking other, like other he pitchers. might make the rotation. But that doesn't mean that the 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 part that you're talking about it isn't still relevant. You can everyone's looking. You know, when you're in the deep league like that, everyone's looking at these minor league lists these days and looking at the top two hundred from like a Kylie McDaniel. So you can find some names on there. And I, I agree with your point that you know you're not going to find Godly necessarily a guy who had peaked at high A through last year and who's 24 years old. That one's just one that we're not. You know. Doug and I go so deep in the starting pitcher guide, and we never even consider Godley because why would we? And, and so, th- like you said, those just happen. But but the types that you're talking about, like the Daniel Norris's, maybe the guys, the Daniel Norris's who aren't necessarily vying for that fifth starter role, the kind of the way he was. But the Luis Severino's, the Henry Owens's, uh, those types. Aaron, and, Aaron Nola, I think Aaron Nola would have been perfect yes. ahead of the season. Steve Matz. I mean, these are these are ranked forty to fifty, so they wouldn't necessarily have gone. You exactly, know? Syndergaard's uh, guys like Syndergaard are going to go and probably go for a, a pretty penny. But uh, your Matzes of the world, you're right, and your Nolas, that's where you can make it. Uh, and I agree with you there. Yeah, and you know, uh, even if you make some misses, like uh, Alex Meyer uh, was was a target of mine. Maybe he missed. Maybe you just need more time to figure out what's going on. Um, and you'll never know when a guy will skip a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of rungs to to get to the big leagues. But um, there's a there's a weak little point there behind the top ten where you can get these guys. Eduardo Rodriguez was the 59th best starter going into the season. If you had read anything about his velocity going up, he would have been a perfect guy to put on a bench. It would have seemed like he was behind seven starters or eight starters or whatever. They but were we all know trash. how. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I did that one. I can I can put my hand up. I did I did get him in a couple of AL onlys with that with that exact feeling in mind that they don't have anybody there. Yeah, they might trade for a, a Hamels uh, or some other stud in season, but that's still only going to fill one of those spots. And so yeah, I, I raised my hand on on Eduardo over there, but uh, I, I I don't use it as a general strategy. So now I should maybe consider it a little bit the, more. The, and the flip side for those of you in like sort of twelve team redrafts, I think the flip side is that they are worth rostering um, 
rookie pitchers. They're worth uh, going after. They're worth putting on your roster. I don't know that they're necessarily worth starting right away because you still then look at the 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 vast portion of them are worse than league average, and that that means very much worse than than fantasy league average. So, um, I think the best strategy for say Severino, I I kind of have them. I think I have Severino ahead of Norris. You might have Norris ahead of Severino. Those are the two best ones. Owens and Gray are going into harder situations with worse stats, um, and uh, they may not be you know, 12-team redraft ownable right now. But Severino and Norris definitely are, and I would just be careful about when you start them, and I would be you know, have a quick uh, uh, trigger finger if there's a need somewhere else on your team, um, and I would just try to ease them in give them the best possible possible chance of succeeding, uh, but not necessarily depend on them. What do you What are you looking for tonight then uh, out of these guys? Uh, Owens and Gray go tonight. Severino goes tomorrow, and I think Norris's next start is on Thursday. So when you're looking to make a decision on these guys, and you know we can't we can't get the the four or five starts that we used to to make an assessment. You just have to be quicker in today's game. What are some things that you're looking for outside of just obviously quality performance? You know, if they go strike out seven all on on swinging strikes, that's great. But what are some small things that you're looking for in these rookie debuts that tip you off that okay maybe maybe they can stick here and do some things, especially with these lesser known guys. Guys. The, the Owenses and the Grays of the world weren't the Syndergaards that were on, on the cusp this year, so they didn't get as studied by the folks in the 12 and 10 team leagues. So what are you looking for, Eno? I think sometimes it's the depth of Arsenal because I, you think about Archie Bradley, everyone said he needs to work on a changeup, he needs to work on a changeup. And uh, then he came up and he did well in his starts, but he never threw the changeup. And I think that was a big red flag because. Here's a guy who's doing it on two pitches who hasn't had a history of good command. Yeah, he was skating. So, yeah, so I think what you do with an Archie Bradley type is you, you line up the scouting that happened before with what he's doing in the big leagues and you say, uh-oh, this guy hadn't, hadn't learned anything. Um, so, you know, for Henry Owens, um, you know, I think uh, he was change up first and he had to prove to everybody he had a curveball. So if he comes up to the big leagues and doesn't throw any curveballs and his only fastball change, I would call that, um, you know, a, a, a warning sign. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, I think John Gray is a similar one. Uh, you know, he's fastball slider and needs to have uh, another pitch uh, and probably not a curveball in Colorado. So uh, I think for John Gray, you, you, you'll be looking for a changeup usage and maybe not even like – Hugely successful changeup usage, but I want to see more than five. I want to see more than seven. I want to see them throw something that they believe in, you know, 10% of the time or so. And, um, and so that's what I'd be looking for is kind of a balanced arsenal. And then swing strikes. And then lastly, the kind of stuff that we talk about here, movement. Um, you know, I'd want to see a, a changeup that had good drop and good fade. Um, and, uh, if they have a breaking ball, I want it to be hard. I want it to, to, you know, have a nice velocity to it. Have some bite. Uh, have some bite. And, uh, although that one's a little bit harder because uh, in terms of breaking ball movements, I know that it's good for a curveball to drop. Uh, that gives you grounders and whiffs. And I know it's good for a curveball to be hard, but sliders come in all sorts of shapes. That's and sometimes true. they... Sometimes sliders are zero zero, and you say, "What does that mean?" It's, that thing is, has zero movement, but um, there aren't a lot of zero zero pitches out there, and it doesn't actually even mean that it's it's um, you know 100% straight. So I think the way uh, people sort of perceive uh, a fastball that goes uh, 
you know, has a, a nine vertical number and a, and a minus six uh, horizontal number, they perceive that as straight uh, because that's the average fastball. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot that we haven't figured out yet about movement. So I, I just, with the slider, I'm looking for uh, good velocity. With the curveball, I'm looking for drop and good velocity. With the changeup, I'm looking for uh, slow, to be slow, and I want it to have drop and fade. Um, and uh, so that, that's the stuff that can really help in a small sample. But other than that, if you just want to look at, you know, how they're using their pitches, just look at how many of each pitch type they threw, period. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll be, we'll be looking out on those guys tonight and tomorrow, like I said. And um, I do believe that Norris goes Thursday. So you can check out all the guys from Eno's piece in the coming days. You know, we're going to shift to the other end of the spectrum. We, put, we talked about maybe doing this on Thursday, but then there was so much trade talk that we had to push it. Uh, we did our on-the-rise hitters last Tuesday, some, some veteran-type guys who were expected to do more this year that really were struggling early and then got hot. Uh, we got some pitchers doing the same. These are, these are veteran guys or at least uh, moderately established. They're not all veterans, but they're guys that we had expectations of this year, and they were failing those expectations severely several months into the season. So it was tough to kind of stay the course, but they've turned it around now. Let's start with Chris Tillman. He had a 6.22 ERA, a 160 WHIP, and just a 5% K minus BB uh, percentage there. That's what strikeout rate minus walk rate in his first 72 and a third innings of work. Well, lately, 41 and a third innings, Chris Tillman has a 109 ERA, a .85 WHIP, and a 15% strikeout minus walk rate, which is uh, just above the average. You know, 12% is the average, so 15%. That's solidly above the average. Where are you at on Baltimore Oriole Chris Tillman in his recent surge? It's kind of it's kind of strange, and I'm I'm actually hoping uh, Baltimore's in town, so I'm hoping to talk to him today. And um, what I want to ask him about, you know, actually I have my little crib sheet. Let me get my little crib sheet out. <laughs> um, let's see here. Okay, so one thing one thing he's definitely doing is he's using a sinker more and. So that's added uh, ground ball rate. So that's that's good, except that he's uh, been in the past. He's been sort of an infield fly ball, like a pop up and fly ball guy. So it, it is kind of a, a fundamental change in some ways. And the ground balls doesn't aren't only coming from this this added sinker usage. He, he's throwing his pitches lower. Uh, he, he's burying the curveball and the change and the cutter uh, lower in the zone. So. Uh, it seems like he is uh, changing to be more of a ground ball guy, which you can do with the curveball. That's fine. I hope that he doesn't lose the rise ball, though, because that uh, he has a rising fastball that can be very useful. Um, other than that, the change has changed a little bit. Of uh, uh, It has more shape, uh, but uh, it's less effective recently. So okay. um, I don't know. He's, he's, he's fooling around with the change a little bit, and uh, so far it's been bad for the results, but uh, I'm interested to see what he says. But in general, he's actually changing a little bit. It's not it's not just like a random results string. I think that the, there's been something here that he's he's trying to alter, um, and for the for the good mostly. And, 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 you know, one of the things about his early numbers that were so bad is a lot of the damage was done against Toronto. So it's, it's a little bit skewed. Uh, they got to him for seven, seven, five, and six earned runs in uh, not a lot of innings. Two and two-thirds, four and a third, six and two-thirds, and then one and a third. So uh, a lot of that early damage was Toronto-induced. 
Uh, so you can give him a little bit of a break on the 6-2-2 ERA, maybe not being you know fully indicative of how he was except for when he played Toronto. But he's definitely making some changes, so I like that from Chris Tillman. It's a guy I've liked. I support it coming into the year after his two solid seasons of 206 and 207 innings, and uh, he was a major disappointment early on, but I'm, I'm glad to see him getting back on track. Let's move over to Gio Gonzalez. Uh, I had even bigger expectations from him, so I'm was pretty bummed when he got off to a 4.82 ERA and 155 WHIP in his first 75 innings of work. He's got a 151 ERA and a 101 WHIP in his last 35 and two thirds. Thing is, with Gio Gonzalez this year, the strikeouts really haven't been there. He's got a uh, 21% strikeout rate in both of those samples, which isn't bad. But you're used to kind of getting uh, big strikeout totals from Gio to kind of cancel out the fact that he usually has a, a relatively high WHIP. So you're not crying about eight strikeouts per nine but uh, again that strikeout per inning or better is usually where he lives and it helps alleviate the pain of that whip uh, what do you what's your take on Gio Gonzalez and his recent run it is weird when guys change like this right I mean it's the same thing that Tillman's done and that he's gone to the sinker more and you know it's uh, it's he's kind of really reversed his four same and sinker usage and um, you know I couldn't find a link between high four-seamer usage and uh, and curveballs and curveball effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, lo and behold, um, his curveball whiff rate um, has uh, mostly has remained unchanged. I mean, yes, it's down a little bit, uh, 23 to 20%, but the year before it was 20%. So um, well, that's the change I'm looking at. Yeah, the curve is the same. It was 12% in 2013. It was, you know, 13.8 last year, and now it's 12.2 again. So, okay. um, you know, his curveball is a little bit less effective than it's been in his career, but it was pretty much the same as it was in 2013. Plus, you have to add in the fact he's getting older. So That's true. Um, these things don't usually go up. Well, you, um, you mentioned the, the, you know, getting more ground balls. He ha has had a big spike in ground ball rate this year, 57%, very easily his career high. Gio Gonzalez had never been above 49% previously. So that's definitely been a shift, and I'm sure it's cutting into the strikeouts. Um, but frankly, if you're not going to have a better ERA and whip with that with that ground ball rate, then give me the strikeouts back, and, and I'm okay if you put the ball in the air a little bit more. Um because it looks like I think it, you know it's probably has something to do with his defense behind uh, that's him. That's I mean, precisely what I was about to say next. 340 yeah. BABIP, and and they they they've been exposed this. You know, Ian Desmond was off to a brutal start, and the fact is they've had a lot of changing pieces too. And I wonder how much that affects the defense as well when you're shifting guys in and out. You got Rendon, Espinosa, uh, Escobar, Desmond, Ugla. I'm sure there's other guys who are, are getting bits here and there, but all those guys just kind of interchanging all around. And I'm sure that there, that plays some role. I don't, I don't know if we could quantify it or not, but uh, how much of a, how much of an impact do you think something like that has changing the pieces in and out on the defense so regularly? Uh, you know, I'm trying to find, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to find there. Uh, here it is. I could have just used Babbitt. Um, well, I'm doing defensive Babbitt, but, you know, so Babbitt behind the pitchers. Um, and uh, Nationals are uh, fourth worst. There you go. Uh, and if you think about uh, the defenses, let's see here. Uh, the Phillies are, are worse. Now, that makes sense to me. Um, me they're playing some strange pieces at shortstop and uh, second base. And they had Cody Ashey at third base for a while. Michael Franco is not well rated. So they're the worst. 
White Sox, a uh, little bit surprising to me. Alexi well, Ramirez is all right, but he, he he got off to a bad start, and Micah Johnson was a nightmare. That's why the the Carlos Sanchez move happened, and I believe they've been kind of filling in at third base a lot too. So that's another team that's kind of moving pieces in. Um, what's his face? Uh, Alex Alexi Ramirez has been the staple as he usually is. That dude that dude answers the bell daily. But everything else, I mean, they don't even have their starting third baseman from the year, which was Connor Glasby. It's now Tyler Saladino. So that's probably playing a role there as well right and uh red sox i mean the rockies are, are third and i think that um you know they have uh what was it uh Coors shield uh was supposed to be their their infield defense exactly uh, they all had, they, they had good defenders they all had defenders but it, it's still colorado i mean um i'd like to see the home and away splits on that yeah. uh and he said to a machine that uh, could tell him their home and away splits. <laughs> you were just trying to voice activate it. You think everything is voice activated now. Show me home splits, Siri. <laughs> so the um, <clears throat> when you do away, Babip, uh, the Rockies are uh, really good. 295, okay. seven teams in the big leagues. And uh, the top is White Sox, Phillies, and Nationals. Um, so those are the Yankees, Yankees and Pirates in there a little bit. So, yeah, the Nationals are bad whether they're at home or on the road uh, with the glove this year. And um, so, you know, 318. Uh, and Gio Gonzalez has a 340. So split the difference. Um, and uh, some of it's uh, not his fault and some of it is his fault. Sure. I agree with you, though, in general. Uh, he was a better pitcher when he was around nine. Um, uh, strikeouts per, uh, okay. per, you know, strikeout per inning, and um, and just in general, uh, more of a strikeout guy. You never know. The one thing I would get worried about is if this was something really related to injury. Uh, that caused the change to the to the uh, to the profile. You're saying? <laughs> yeah, the, his horizontal release point is the lowest it's been in years. Interesting. Uh, and. Um, you know, his vertical release point is higher. I don't know. You know, it's just basically changed somehow. And, um, you know, people forget that he was kind of thought to be a guy who'd get injured a lot. And, he, you know, he doesn't, he didn't have super consistent mechanics coming up. And he had pretty bad walk rates for a while. And he I mean, was the he kind of guy that kind of always has you know the nine percents that he had uh with the Nats pretty much actually every year with the Nats that's good for him because he usually has the strikeouts to outrun it but you know what isn't in the seven percent average for 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 uh starters so yeah even that nine percent yeah. isn't great for for Gio but it's been better he gets credit for some improvement but he's he hasn't turned that that around um and yeah, that's always been a bit of an issue, and that's why that whip is always high. And then you throw in a poor defense that lets in some extra hits, and you're taking an already bad whip sky high, and it's it's really damaging. I think uh, whip is one yeah, of those. Yeah, seven percent. Seven percent. You're right. Whip's one of those that uh, folks don't necessarily see the impact because it always starts with a one, and so maybe you don't notice how sharp of a difference it is between like a one two zero and a one two five, and and those what numbers in the one thirties, and he's at what what I say one forty two for the year. That's that's tough. That's really tough for a whip. But we got to move on. We got two more guys, and we got to get you out of here. R. A. Dickey is somebody who I tried to wait as long as I could with. I believe I spoke with Jason about this a little bit. Um, I, I waited on him in, in, in two leagues where, where 
it made more sense to st just put him on the bench and wait and see if anything happened. But a couple others I had to move on. 577 and a 577 ERA, 133 whip in the first 64 innings for Dickey. It was really tough. But he's got a 270 ERA and a 118 whip in his last 80 innings. And uh, he's looking a lot more, not quite like the Dickey of old, say, Mets version, but like the Dickey of old Toronto version, which has been a solid unspectacular pitcher, the, the exact pitcher that I was hoping to get, uh, you know, the guy who's going to be all right. He's now got a four four oh six ERA for the season, uh, piling up the innings per usual. What do you see on Dickey? Is it just the, the, the volatility of the knuckleball that can send him from being so poor to so good and then maybe back again? Hopefully not. Uh, or, or is there something more there in your estimation? You know, when he broke out, a big part of it was that the big part of what sets him apart from other knuckleballers in the in the past is that he throws the hardest knuckler maybe that's ever been thrown. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you look at how he does on those pitches, he does really well on the you know seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty mile an hour knucklers. Um, and I think that probably has a lot to do with reaction time. Um, you know, I think a hitter's normal philosophy on the knuckler is to wait, 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 and then wait some more. And if you throw one that's 80, they, they have to take at least one of those weights out of there. And, uh, and I think that makes it, uh, makes it harder for, for people to, to react to the, the erratic movement that the knuckler provides. So in any case, when he was with the, the Mets, he, you know, it's not only that he changed leagues and he went to a dome and stuff. When he was with the Mets, he averaged 78 on the knuckler. He hasn't averaged 78 on the knuckler since he left the Mets. Okay. And uh, so to some extent, you know, there's, this is almost like a conventional pitcher where he's lost his fastball velocity. But on the other hand, he's getting it back a little bit. I mean, he was 77.9, um, you know, over his last few starts. And even um, in July, the 77.2, those two numbers are the highest he's shown since uh, the beginning of last year. So there was a good, you know, six straight months of him averaging 75, 76. And the, it's even more different if you look at the, um, the max velocity. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely pumped it back up to 83 um, after just spending a long time in 81s and 82s. So now he's got uh, uh, the, max, the, the max speed um, knuckler going. And uh, I think that's part of his resurgence. I, don't, I think that we can also say, though, that in that league and in that park, his, his upside is limited. I mean, it's just, you know, this is, this is good Dickey back again. And uh, he's still going to give up a homer for nine uh, or more. And uh, even though Knuckles have great BABIPs, um, you know, look at his career bat. It's 280, 281 batting average on balls in play, 257 this year, 260 is the last couple of years. So those things will work in his favor. But, um, you know, I do think he'll, he'll give up the homers in that ballpark. And uh, this is about the best you can expect from him right now, I think. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. But, hey, it, it's running well. And if he stays in this area where his composite numbers are right now for Dickey, a 406 ERA, keeps piling up the innings. You know, points leagues are usually where he, he is best suited, and I, I think he'll continue to be a, a reasonable asset in those formats. Last guy here, and then we'll get you out because uh, we got to talk about your guys, the guy that you, that you that you backed, and uh, he's he's. 
paying some dividends now. Matt Shoemaker uh, is tough. It was tough to back him for a while there because he was a home run machine. 520 ERA, 122 whip thanks to a 1.9 homer, homer, uh, homer per nine, so almost two homers per game in his first 72 and two-thirds innings for Shoemaker. Recently, 201 ERA, 1.21 whip, and just a .6 homer per nine in his last 31 and a third innings for Shoemaker. So, you know, we all knew that if he could keep the ball in the park, there could be some effectiveness, but he wasn't showing any signs that he had any desire to keep the ball in the park. So, you know, I'm sure most folks cut him, particularly in mixed leagues, and it's hard to really blame anybody who did that. Uh, but it's been a drastic turnaround, and folks might not even realize it because his composite ERA is still 424, even after seven shutout innings at Houston the other day where are you on Matt Shoemaker right now well you know it, what's weird is that I wanted to say well the the, the stretch you picked was cherry picked um, and he did have three starts at home and that's that's where I'd be using him right now um, but he did have three starts on the road and one was at Colorado where he didn't give up a home run he survived two runs yeah one was at seattle which was only an inning i don't know what happened there maybe oh, he, that was he, some... he got caught up in a relief bit there that's okay a, he had to end up finishing finishing off a, a a game there i don't know why because they were up so much it, oh maybe because it, it was right before the break they weren't going to start him so they let him get yeah. that inning there that's why that's why go ahead uh then um uh, then minnesota at home and then at houston uh, a great start in a homer park I probably uh, didn't start him for that one, um, and it, you know it hasn't been linear. I mean, he gave up two home runs in Oakland, um, and uh, I mean and the has, two home runs. I was yeah. gonna say he has two three homer games at home too. So like you're saying, it's not always just the park; it's just right. a matter of, of of his pitching. He's not he's not immune when he's in a good pitcher's park, and Shoemaker isn't an automatic. Uh, when, or isn't automatically going to give them up when he's in a when he's in a good hitter's park. It's just kind of dependent upon him more so than anything else. I will say that I do think that his um, uh, grounder rate has gone up, and that's been that's been uh, important for him. Uh, he it was twenty seven percent in March, thirty nine percent in May, forty nine percent in June, forty two percent in July. Um, so in general, his his ground ball rate has been trending upwards. Um, and his home run for fly ball rate has been trending the other direction. So, um, you know, it was 13% in March, 21% in May, yowza, uh, 7% in June and 6% in July. So those are the, uh, that's the kind of, that's regression, uh, you would call it. I mean, yeah. a 21% home run for fly ball rate, you're either going to be out of baseball or, Something's uh, it's got to get regress. Yeah. Yeah. So are you starting him in mixed uh, leagues right now? Uh, Let's we'll say twelve teams, not ten. As much as as much as um, there are those those starts that happened earlier in the year, um, I will start him at home. That's that's been my plan. Okay, uh, maybe in, in Seattle. I just I think that he's a bad fastball guy for the most part, and uh, oh, his his fastball velocity has, has been up too. And it might just be the normal uh, sort of tick and a half that you get over the course of the season, but. For him, it's very important because it gets him closer to um, league average velocity. And, um, um, but he's go ahead. Yeah, he's a bad fastball guy, and uh, any park that can help him out just a little bit, um, I think that's where I'll start him. 
You're right. I did cherry pick because it was it was that two homer game that I used as kind of the mark off since he had so many others. But even if you just include that and you go all the way back to May 26th, he has an 11 start or actually an 11 appearance, 10 start because of that relief appearance. Um, he's got 59 and two thirds innings of a 272 ERA. So even even I kind of shaded it to where it made it look like he struggled longer than he did. Uh, Shoemaker was pretty much out of the the woods. In, in late May, but but through those first eight starts, he had a 629 ERA, so he'd already done so much damage that I'm sure a lot of folks were off the train at that point. Uh, but I feel like you can kind of safely get back on, like you said, at least at home or other favorable parks. As we mentioned, it doesn't guarantee anything, but you want to set yourself up for the best success. And if you're going to use somebody like that in a 12-teamer, I think that's what you need to do. Uh, Eno, it's right on time here. I think my timing was magnificent. You said 3 o'clock. You got to go. I'm going to let you out. We'll get back together on Thursday and talk more baseball. Until then, enjoy the yard tonight, and hopefully you get some Chris Tillman bits. I'll talk to you later. All right, thanks.